It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped the towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. That is why he said, not every one of you is clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I am your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, and no messenger is greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. May he bless them to us. Let me just introduce and, and, and pray for Paul as he comes to share God's word uh, with us. Thank you, Paul. Lord, I do pray your Holy, your Holy Spirit afresh on Paul and afresh on us that as he speaks and as we hear you will move in our hearts and speak powerfully to us. Shaping us, moulding us, transforming us, enlightening us. So that, step by step, we might be better followers of you. More open to your grace and work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much and um, thank you for the welcome. It's really good to be here sharing worship with you this morning. I've been associated with Camborne ever since I came into role and that's about 11 and a half years now. Um, so I've got a long um, link here, but of course I'm not very often here on a Sunday, um, but I can remember being here for all sorts of reasons um, not least because it's on my 
office wall, I've got a photograph of one or two of the things I, I did, and it was that snowy day when we um, symbolically cut the ground um, ready for the church to be built. Um, so that's how far back I go. Um, so it's good, good to be here. Um, it is, of course, the first Sunday in Lent, and um, we're going to be thinking through Lent of some of the things that happened, particularly in that last week, and what that means to us and what that says to us, because Lent is a time of preparation um, for Easter, time of preparation for celebrating the joy of the resurrection and looking through some of the things that happened as 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 that last week particularly unfolded, um, I think gives us some really good bases for thinking of a lot of what God would say to us today. And so today we're going to be thinking about that um, incident which we've just heard um, read from John 13 of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. And I want to think with you this morning about what it means uh, to wash feet, what it meant <laughs> Um, or what we can take from Jesus doing that. In the early 90s, my wife and I served as missionaries in Panama for a period of three years. I was the minister of a Methodist church, don't ask why Methodist, but it was, um, in Panama City, and that's where we lived. And Panama City was a modern city with all the mix of life that any city brings, um, but just for a few weeks before we returned to the UK, um, which we came back in May 1994, and for about five weeks just shortly before that, we went to one of the remote parts of Panama and helped in running various training events around some of the 13 Methodist churches in the eastern part of the country, populated by one of the indigenous groups, the Guaymi. And it was really interesting because there we were, somewhere where the only way of getting around was boat or foot, quite literally. Um, it was the days obviously long before mobiles, and in fact there was just one phone in the village where we were staying, which normally was out of order anyway. Um, it was a very different perspective. We would go by boat and walk up to a village. We used to go out... Um, quite a bit of the time when we were there to do training courses in the different villages. And so we'd go across the sea and we'd get out of the boat, we'd walk up to church. And like the locals, I would very often go barefoot. And as I did that, I never managed to master the art, which they all seemed to have perfected, of walking through mud and emerging with my feet clean. Mine were always muddy. And I remember one particular village where I arrived with my feet absolutely coated with wet mud. And I was very quickly and discreetly taken on one side, water was brought and my feet were washed. I think I washed them myself, but the provision of that facility in a place where you didn't just turn on the tap and get water, showed for me the kind of generosity, hospitality and servant spirit that I see so clearly in the John 13 account of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. 
the story which, unlike most of the events of Holy Week, only appears in one gospel, that, according to St. John, is one of the key indicators, I think, of the different way to which Jesus points us. Time and time again, the biblical stories of God's encounters with the world challenge our perceptions. And we need to learn that God's kingdom values offer an alternative model to the one which the world sets up for us. The kind of things that the world would suggest we should do are turned around when we look to what Jesus says to us. So let's take ourselves into this story. It takes place in the upper room. The disciples are gathered, the immediate group, that is the twelve. They are there with Jesus, sharing a meal. I'm going to say it was probably a Passover meal. It may not have been. Uh, It's not absolutely clear, and certainly if you look very closely at John and John's account, John places it 24 hours too early for it to be a Passover. But that, in the end, doesn't really matter. What matters is that they were there together, they were there on a special occasion, they were there sharing food and conversation. Things were tense, at least I think they were. The disciples didn't know what was about to happen. But the situation had been building. And I can't believe that they didn't have at least some sense that the next few days might not go entirely well. So there they are, all is set, the meal is ready, but the courtesy of foot washing, one of the conventions of the time, has not been observed. Now if I might draw another parallel. When I visit Zimbabwe, which I have done a number of times because we have a URC synod link there, One of the conventions there, because cutlery is often not used, is to just before the meal bring round a jug of water, usually warm, a bowl and a towel. And it's brought round to you and you hold your hands out and the water is poured over your hands so that you can wash them and then dry them on the towel and then you are ready to eat. And it's often the younger members of the family who do this and I always see it as an act of service. Now, I would never do it because it would be offending the cultural norms. But this picture of Jesus washing the disciples' feet is vaguely akin to my taking the jug and the bowl and the towel and insisting on washing the hands of my Zimbabwean hosts. Perhaps the difference is that in the gospel story, it would appear that there was no obvious person present to perform this service. I don't know whether it was like this, but I can imagine the disciples all there, ready to get started on the meal, only waiting, because somebody really ought to perform this act of service. Only, who was going to do it? Nobody was prepared to do it. It would have been the, the junior disciple. Only there wasn't a junior disciple. Can you imagine them all thinking, well, 
somebody needs to do it, but I'm not going to be the one. It's beneath my dignity. It would be too demeaning. I can almost hear echoes of the conversation they had when James and John tried to claim the best seats in the kingdom of heaven. However, I can also imagine that none of them saw what happened next coming. Jesus always leads by example. And I'm sure that none of them expected Jesus to be the one who got up and then actually got on with performing this menial task. And this image of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples has become an important and powerful part of the Holy Week story. And the immediate and obvious question for each one of us is about whose feet we are going to wash, whose feet we are called to wash. And what exactly does that mean? Because it's not actually going to be about literally washing feet. Maybe I can put it another way. What are the things that we think are below us? But just maybe that is exactly what God is calling us to do. I've been ministering churches where washing feet has been part of the events of Maundy Thursday. And you know, that's a powerfully symbolic act. I'm sure some of you at least will have seen it happen, perhaps been part of it. I have both washed feet and had my feet washed. And there's an important point to make along the way here. And that is that though I believe that this account, this example is principally about being willing to wash feet, and taking seriously Jesus' model of servant leadership. There is also something to say about being willing to have your feet washed. You know, it's really interesting that when I have participated in the Maundy Thursday ceremony of foot washing, I've actually always found it far easier when I was the one doing the the washing of feet than when I was one of those having a foot washed. There is here, of course, an echo of Peter's intervention and the conversation that is recorded between Jesus and Peter. Peter's always got something to say. Have you noticed that? Having people who will speak up can be extremely good. But isn't it the case that sometimes we want them, we want Peter to shut up. Words aren't needed here. Peter, just go with the moment. That's certainly what I want to say to Peter when I read the story of the Mount of Transfiguration. And I sort of want to say it here too. Only I'm also glad that this point of the importance of having your feet washed is brought out. And including the point that you don't need to go over the top. You know, that's one of Peter's problems too, isn't it? Don't just wash my feet, wash my hands and my head as well. That's what Peter says. But that's not what is needed. Jesus gently urges Peter to take a more measured approach. 
There's great blessing in having your feet washed when that's what you need. Don't forget that element in this story. So having explored the actual story a little, I want to go on and suggest some principles which I see at work here. I'm sure I could find more, but alongside the specific points about washing feet and having them washed, I find myself identifying three key pointers. And the first important point that I want to identify is that all of this happened in the context of love. Love is what defines Christians, or it ought to be. We have that great love chapter in 1 Corinthians, and in 1 John we read the description that God is love. You know, it's impossible to define God, and we shouldn't try. But perhaps the closest we can get is when we talk about God as love. It's later in this chapter, John 13, that this will come to the fore in the conversation as Jesus identifies what he describes as a new commandment, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. One of the things that I find really interesting about John 13 is that it starts with the washing of the feet, an act of service, but in this instance, certainly not just an act of service, but also an act of love. It goes on to Jesus predicting his betrayal. Then comes the conversation about the new commandment, about love as the guiding principle. But then just before the end of the chapter, Jesus predicts, Peter's denial. Now what I find really interesting here is how all this unfolds. Peter here affirms that he will follow Jesus anywhere. But of course he didn't. Three times he denied, I don't know him. And then the cock crowed. Peter no doubt was devastated. But that's what he did. Only later he got the chance to reverse it, the breakfast on the shore and the conversation between Jesus and Peter after that meal of fish and bread where Jesus three times, matching three denials, asked Peter, do you love me? The context for what we are about is that of love. But then, and this is the second key point, Within that context, we need to note the importance of service. Service is not the way of the world. Position, power, prestige are all seen as far more important. Today, just as in Jesus' time, society has its pecking order. That's the way things work but not in God's kingdom. What matters is not being important. What matters is that we love one another. The church, like society, needs leaders, but leadership is not a matter of status. It's a matter of role. It's a matter of service. 
Christian leadership is meant to follow the example of Jesus and to be servant leadership. Leaders who are not motivated by love will be bad leaders. Servants who are not motivated by love will be bad servants. One of the important things to note is that Jesus tells the disciples that they ought to be washing each other's feet. If he can do it for them, then surely they can do it for each other. Now, of course, they should be performing the service for others beyond the group, but they should do it for each other. One of the things that I sometimes wonder about this passage, and we're not told, is whether after he had washed their feet, did one of the disciples get up and wash Jesus' feet? I don't know. We're not told. On the one hand, I can imagine them knocking each over, knocking each other over in the rush. Surely they each would have wanted to be the one. Jesus had done it for them. Let me do it for you. On the other hand, I wonder if they were all so stunned by what had happened that actually nobody did it. We don't know, we're not told. But what is very clear is the call to service. Though I didn't coin the phrase, I sometimes like to think of the abundance of one anothering to which we are urged in the pages of the New Testament. Bear one another's burdens, pray for one another, forgive one another, greet one another, encourage one another, accept one another, live at peace with one another, love one another, serve one another. I hope somebody else did wash Jesus' feet. It doesn't matter who. But I also suspect it may not have happened. But whether it did or not, the wonderful example must have lived on with them. Wash one another's feet. Serve one another. And so the third key point for me is to note the importance of prepared feet. Washed feet are ready. Sometimes we don't want our feet to be washed because they're, they're not our most attractive feature. You can imagine the feet of the disciples, corns, bunions, uneven feet, the cracked skin of feet that got around by walking. Mile after mile over grassy hillsides and dry, dusty roads. Jesus kneeling and washing their feet was a profound acknowledgement of how those feet had walked with him. A disciple is essentially a follower. These men, and they were men, this inner group of 12, it wouldn't have been so today, certainly not in our society, but the social and cultural norms were different. It is clear that there were women included in the wider group of disciples. But this inner group whose names we know were all men. They had weaknesses. They had said some stupid things. There is plenty of evidence that so often they just didn't get it. But they had stayed with Jesus. 
They had walked away from their previous lives. They had left family, work, home. For all their faults and failings, they had given a lot. They had walked a long way. What next? Jesus knew that these feet would soon head off in a variety of directions. They had kept together for the three years of his ministry. That was going to change. They didn't know what was round the corner. Some of the feet would walk away from him and betray him to the authorities. Some of the feet would get far enough away to be able to claim, I don't know him. None of them, none of them would stay right beside him for the next bit. Some would run off afraid of being associated with one who was about to be crucified. Some would go off to get wet, climb in a boat and look for fish. And some would be there and would run to the tomb, the empty tomb, to get something of the joy of Easter morning. And I wonder if our feet are ready to go where God wants them to go. It was a motley collection of feet. Feet are often not beautiful, but on that night, 12 pairs of feet were treated with loving care. Twelve pairs of feet were pampered and scrubbed in an unexpected and remarkable way. Twelve pairs of feet were readied for the journey ahead. A journey that would take them some very different places. And through them the gospel in due course to the ends of the earth. And one pair of feet was about to be pierced with nails.